Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. During this pandemic, we have been spending a lot more time in our apartments, houses, etc. As the days go slowly by, but it seems like the months fly, new attention has been focused on the fact that our homes were not generally designed for us to live, work, and play in 24-7. Think for a moment about your house. Maybe something in your house has frustrated you that you have, now that you've had to spend more time there. Perhaps there's some clutter somewhere. Perhaps you have your clutter stashed in a damp, dark closet from which a hint of mildew wafts as something tumbles out when you open the door to its overstuffed contents. As for me, I've been working since sometime in early March in the laundry room at a table that is one of the few patches of real estate in the house that Meredith lets me keep my way. Perhaps I'd prefer to think of it as an expression of my unique interests all piled up, but honestly, it's just a big mess. On this former dining table sent recently opened packages to the side, appearing as though they broke open as they fell out of the mail truck. Three computers, their keyboards, mice, monitors, perched precariously over various electronic equipment that are part of my ham radio hobby, variable voltage supplies, antenna tuners, etc., all sitting on what used to be a white tablecloth. Before I spilled my coffee on it one day, I'd like to wash it, but to do so would require pulling everything else off the table and cleaning it up and it never seems there's enough time for that these days. It's enough to make Jesus weep. Okay, maybe not. But you know who would weep? Marie Kondo. Yep, Marie Kondo, you know her, right? I mean, she wrote this number one best-selling book titled The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. It's been translated into more than 10 languages and published in over 30 countries. She has this hit show on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. So even if you've not read her book or watched a single episode of her show like me, I imagine you've had a hard time not being exposed to at least some of her six basic rules, or shall we say her magical incantations for changing your life by cleaning up, such as tidy by category, not location, in the right order, keep only those things that speak to the heart and discard items that no longer spark joy, thank them for their service and let them go. Sounds pretty good, right? In fact, there is a lot to like there as Christians. I mean, after all, we should remove our material attachments, practice thankfulness, and seek joy. But I'm here to tell you that there's a better way to tidy up your life than Marie Kondoing it. And Jesus, today, in our gospel passage, shows us how. In today's gospel, Jesus sees Jerusalem as he approaches it for the last time. As he surveys it, he sees its disorder, its clutter, all the mess that, the, that makes the world unable to recognize that God is walking with them again, just as he did in the Garden of Eden. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. Why? Because he's here to spark joy. But worldly attachments are keeping us from seeing that spark. And because of our inability to give that spark space to grow into a warming fire, the disorder he sees will lead to further disorder. 
Just as in our physical world in which the laws of physics ensure that a closed system will become more and more disordered, likewise, our spiritual lives become more and more disordered unless we let in the directed energy of God to reorder them. The good news is that the story doesn't stop with Jesus weeping. We see Jesus take action. We see Jesus go in and start cleaning up the clutter. And in that action, he demonstrates to us how we should take the clutter away and transform our lives. Jesus shows us the true, the real, life-changing magic of tidying up. In the gospel assigned for today, we hear just a hint. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. But we learn from the other gospels that this was quite a bit more dramatic event than we hear from Luke. St. John tells us, in fact, that in the temple, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take those things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, Jesus making a whip of cords, a whip and driving out those people and animals from the courtyard of the temple, pouring out the money, overturning the tables. In our day and time, surely someone would have pulled out their cell phone and this video would be, in your, be viral in your Facebook feed. Someone else would have been calling the cops and they would have wrestled Jesus to the ground. Or maybe he would have slipped through the cracks like he did when those in Nazareth took him to the precipice of that cliff. Of course, we know that Jesus wasn't arrested because the passages tell us that although he should have been, the authorities were more afraid of what the people would do if they did arrest him. I say all this to make it clear how serious this action was. Now, it wasn't a capital crime like blasphemy or insurrection, but it was some serious civil disobedience. It was also clearly violent, and it appears Jesus was pretty angry. Is that okay? I mean, Jesus is without sin, right? Now, if you've spent any time in church over the course of your life, I'm sure you've heard discussion of this passage as something called righteous anger. Is there even such a thing? And if so, how, how do we know that our anger is righteous? Well, I am here to tell you that indeed, anxious, righteous anger is a thing, and that by rightly directing our anger, we will transform ourselves and our world more into Christ and thereby save ourselves and the world around us. In fact, righteous anger is the key to the Christian's approach to life-changing tidying up. We'll see how righteous anger provides the path to decluttering and transforming our spiritual lives. The first two of Marie Kondo's rules are to commit yourself to tidying up and to imagine your ideal lifestyle. As Christians, it should be easy to imagine our ideal lifestyle. We made that commitment when we were baptized and chrismated. We committed ourselves to the ideal of Jesus Christ. We renew that commitment each time we feed on the body and blood of Jesus, that he is in us and we in him. So today, I ask you again to recall your commitment, whether you're on an up or a down of your spiritual life. Examine yourself for a moment and recommit yourself to transforming yourself 
into your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It isn't magic, like at the end of a Disney movie when the prince or the princess is miraculously transformed. In fact, even if you've had one of those rare moments like Paul, where you were knocked off your horse and Jesus spoke to you, we all know that the road to Rome to meet your martyrdom was still paved with various temptations, torments, and hardships. But to make a commitment, and more importantly, to then follow through with it, requires a source of fuel. And guess what? Righteous anger is that fuel. Have you ever noticed how anger motivates? Think about the last time you were angry. I mean, really angry. Feel your body prepping for action, your pupils opening wider to let a little more light in, your heart starting to race, the blood starting to flow a little faster in your veins. What did you do? I mean, you almost certainly did something. Anger drives people to curse others, post scathing comments on Twitter, to march in the streets, to destroy property, to hurt, and even kill other people. There isn't much in this world that motivates us like anger. So get angry, really angry. But at what and how? The Bible and the Holy Fathers and Mothers of the Church repeatedly warn us about anger. St. Paul tells us in Ephesians to never let the sun go down on our anger because it may give the devil a foothold. Jesus himself tells us that we're in danger of hellfire if we simply curse someone in anger by calling them a fool. Jesus also tells us that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The Old Testament wisdom literature is likewise full of verses warning us about anger. From Ecclesiastes, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. From, Pro from Proverbs, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Also from Proverbs, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. From the Psalms, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. And back in the New Testament, St. James says in chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That last bit is central to the understanding about the kind of anger we are to have and not to have. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But what does? Godly anger. Jesus' anger is demonstrated in the gospel today. The wrath of God. So many Christians think somehow that God became softer and more fuzzy-wuzzy somewhere between the Old and the New Testaments. But an honest and critical look at the Bible in its full context shows you that just isn't the case. We see that Jesus is just as wrathful and vengeful as the so-called God of the Old Testament, and that the so-called God of the Old Testament is as loving, forgiving, and faithful as Jesus. They are one and the same. And in fact, the church has been through this argument before and condemned any concept of them being different as heresy. Now, the wrath of God is a pretty darn scary thing. It should be. 
But when we rightly understand it, then we can and should transform our anger in the same way. We can take our human wrath and transform it into the wrath of God. We need to fundamentally understand that God's anger, though, is not directed at us personally. There's this old Christian saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. God's anger is not directed at us. God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. Should I say it again? I think I will because we tend to love to forget that it's true. God loves us. But what God doesn't love is sin. God hates sin. As Christians, if we're to be like God, we have to hate sin too. Unfortunately, in our human anger, we target not the sin but the sinner. We openly denounce the people rather than their action. When we see something we don't like, we call the cops to take them away, we cancel them, we rake them over the coals on social media until in some cases they lose their very livelihood. Why do we do this? Because we fail to recognize our brothers and sisters in this journey as sinners just like us. When did we forget Jesus saying, let him without sin cast the first stone? In his epistle, St. Jude tells us to have mercy on those who have doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This has grown much harder in our world that has devolved into this thing called identity politics, where people identify themselves by what they do rather than by what they are. It's hard to provide criticism to somebody when they self-identify as their sin. It turns the scarlet letter into a banner of pride, a particularly damaging pride that damages, and um, a particularly damaging pride that becomes one's personal identity. This is remarkably difficult to fight. It's extremely dangerous. Attacking sin suddenly becomes an aggression, an attack on another person by definition. But we must continue to apply God's wrath, not human wrath. We must remember to always remind people that even if they see themselves as defined by what they do, we as Christians reject that perspective and always tell them that we love them, but not their actions. We must also remember that we are as steeped in this culture as anyone else. So watch yourself when others criticize your behavior. It's likely because of this, that you, because of this culture that you've begun to identify yourself as something you do rather than by Jesus Christ. So thus, try to listen carefully. And if your blood starts to boil, remember your behavior isn't what defines you. We committed earlier in this sermon to be defined by Christ. To be defined by Christ, we must accept from time to time that right, righteous chastisement that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ give to us. We need to also listen to what others are saying to us in the world. And holding that up next to Christ to see if it's a beautiful icon of Jesus or one so poorly painted that we can't make out Christ's visage in it. In today's gospel, Jesus shows us the alternative to human anger. That's righteous anger, which is directed at the sin, in this case, of blocking people's access to God's love and forgiveness through unnecessarily high fees to change money and purchase animals for sacrifice. He never says, you awful money changers, you all deserve to go to hell. Rather, I imagine he invited them to dinner later that night. And there he heard from them how they had found themselves wrapped up in this sinful enterprise, just trying to make ends meet and feed their families in a tough world. 
Jesus loved the sinner, but he hated the sin. Jesus loves you and me, but hates our sin. But there's another problem we face, that even if we stop directing our anger outward towards others, we all too often turn it in on ourselves, berating ourselves, beating ourselves up, driving us into depression, greater disorder, rather than direct our anger at our own sin. We can't do that either. In fact, it's a road to perdition. If we wrongly direct our human anger at our own person, our own identity, rather than at the sin that we plot out and commit that does not define us, but is holding us back, we too will become depressed, apathetic, and give up fighting against it. And that's exactly what Satan hopes for. However, we do need to start with ourselves. In fact, if you're angry outside of yourself, I can assure you, you're not showing God's anger, but human anger. Why? Where does Jesus start in today's passage? Where does Jesus start the work of cleaning up the clutter? In his own house. He starts with his own house first. Because if he can get his house in order, then he can get the whole world in order. And let that be a lesson to us. We too must first get our own house in order so that we can get the rest of the world in order. As Marie Kondo recommends, we should not start by location. We can't clean up our whole heart or our whole mind at once. We have to take on a category. So for you, which category, which deadly sin will you start working on? Will it be lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, or pride? Too often we're focused on the sins that we see as our biggest challenge. But again, I would say at the recommendation of Marie Kondo, we have to tidy things up in the right order. We may be constantly working and berating ourselves over our addiction to drugs, but we still take that box of Oreos out of the pantry and gobble them down mindlessly watching TV rather than taking a couple out. And so, focusing on the big thing instead of the small things is often backwards and sometimes a formula for failure. So start with something small. It has to still be something you, you is bothering you that you have a challenge with, but something you have less attachment or true addiction to. So you heard the category list before. Here it comes again. Take an easy one for you, something you really struggle with, but not the thing that constantly besets you that you think you'll never be able to overcome. So which will it be? Commit to one. Here's that list. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, or pride. When you take one of those on, learn from the mindfulness required to overcome the little stuff and bask in the newfound freedom you have because you took that little thing on. Those experiences, those experiences will make you better equipped for tackling what you perceive as your bigger problem. Tackling these little things will give you new coping and success mechanisms. It will alert you to the slavery you are experiencing from your larger ones and It'll give you greater patience with yourself when you realize how hard it is to do even the seemingly simple stuff. God knows it's hard too. And he'll be walking along with you, as will his church, even carrying you at times. Now, now you've got your first category, whatever it is. Bring it to mind again and get angry. Really angry. Now, not human anger. Don't get mad at other people doing that. Don't get mad at yourself for doing that. Get mad at the sin. See it for what it is, for the way it separates you from God and your neighbor. How it hides how much God loves you and makes you believe he hates you somehow. 
and continuing in quasi-Marie Kondo style, discard it because it doesn't spark joy. It doesn't spark the love of God. It doesn't let your little light shine and do so with thanksgiving. Thank God for giving you that anger and the knowledge of how to use it right. Thank God for his love. Thank your brothers and sisters in Christ for their love. For God and neighbor seeing Christ in you and loving you, the real you, rather than the version of you blurred and clouded by sin. Get angry only at the sinful clutter in your life. Start today by cleaning up your own house and you will find yourself ever more growing into the likeness of Christ. Angry at sin, fighting sin, kicking sin to the curb but always loving God and your neighbor. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.